Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Voters go to the polls in the Stormont Assembly election. We'll have the latest from Belfast. Minister for Transport, Climate, Eamon Ryan is here to discuss the big climate issues, the cost of living crisis and the National Maternity Hospital. When you get to a 300-year time frame, that uh, is into the realm that it actually is not a material difference between outright ownership and a 300-year lease at that rate. Campaigners hold a demo over the cost of living and demand urgent action, including student unions. And later, the Newsweek in review. Get in touch on Twitter with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. Tonight, with polls just closed in Northern Ireland Assembly elections, Bauer Media's political correspondent Sean Defoe joins us from Belfast. Um, Sean, bring us the very latest there. The polls, as I say, just closed at 10 o'clock. Uh, a little bit about voter turnout. How was it today? Was it as high a, a, as expected? Um, and what could all this mean? It was expected to be a, bit, a little bit lower than 2017, and that looks a bare round to be where we've landed. So as of 9 o'clock, it was about 55% across Northern Ireland. It was 64% at the time of polls closing in 2017. So it does look to be down, which is kind of what we expected after a bit of a lacklustre campaign. But it still very much looks like a lacklustre campaign could lead to a very monumental result. Yeah, tell us about this. Sinn Féin, on the brink of making history, there would be, uh, for the first time, a, a, a non-British-aligned party um, you know, leading power sharing in the north. Uh, what would all that mean? Uh, but a hell of a lot. It, it's going to be a bit of history, it looks like, for Michelle O'Neill to become the first first minister from uh, heading a nationalist or, or Republican party. And it, in the actual role itself, in terms of first minister and deputy first minister, there's actually no legal difference between them. The powers are exactly the same. And under uh, the setup for the Stormont Assembly, they are the exact same role. But of course, symbolically, it's going to be absolutely huge. It is a, a real sea change in Northern Ireland to see a Republican in that role. And it puts a real question up to unionism now as well. Well, neither the DUP or the UUP have said during the campaign whether they will actually nominate a deputy first minister if it does in fact transpire that Sinn Féin end up with the first minister's position. So in terms of the actual power and what they can do, nothing would actually change for Michelle O'Neill. Her job will still be the same, but symbolically it's huge. And it could put issues on the agenda that, that were being pushed back um, heretofore as well. But in terms of forming the government, crucially, the issue of stalemate, uh, sadly all too familiar in the North. Um, how will unionists react to this in terms of making a decision on whether to, to, to join in government? And what about the Alliance Party? Because they seem to be progressing well. 
Yeah, I think a lot of the hopes that the UP might have had in the last few days that their rhetoric that look, Sinn Féin is going to lead to a border poll and really putting up to unionist voters to say, do you really want to see a nationalist in this role probably hasn't come to fruition purely based on the turnout numbers that we have. If they were hoping to really go and get out the unionist vote, it doesn't look as though that's happened, but we won't know really until the results come in tomorrow. For the alliance, it could be a huge win. They're, as of the last poll, they were on 18.2%, the exact same as the DUP, which would be a real shift. So, so this isn't necessarily Sinn Féin gaining a load of seats. In fact, Sinn Féin last poll would be slightly down based on 2017 overall, but the DUP have really fallen back from 28% to around 18.2% if that's what it comes to be, a neck and neck with the alliance. So it shows a lot more voters wanting maybe a middle ground in Northern Ireland, maybe going away from the traditional unionist versus Republican vote that we've always seen since Storm was started. And, and what that will mean for forming a government, it's going to be very, very difficult. The Stormont executive spent more times not sitting than it did sitting during the term of the last government, and it doesn't look as though that's going to change any time soon, because quite aside from the row over who actually has the top job, the row of the Northern Ireland Protocol is still very, very important for the DUP and for a lot of unionist voters as well. And Geoffrey Donaldson has said, if there isn't progress on that and if something isn't sorted, they're not going back into the executive. OK, we'll have to see how all of this plays out, beginning, of course, uh, from tomorrow. For, for now, Sean Defoe, thank you for joining us from Belfast tonight. Now, smoky fuels were back on the Dáil agenda today with news that peat briquettes could be included in a ban next September if they're found to produce excess pollution. Well, joining me here in studio is Minister for Transport, Climate, Environment and Communications, Eamon Ryan. But first, we can take a look at what the Minister had to say earlier in the Dáil. And even on the peat briquettes, I'll be perfectly honest, I'll be looking at the science there to make sure I'll be absolutely certain that those peats peat briquettes because of the way they're processed, because of the way they burn, are below the 10 micrograms of pollution that's put out into the atmosphere. We have to be straight about that and, and make sure that it is the case. But I don't believe it'll open up a future where we actually find, oh, it is actually possible to be burn, burn that turf. No matter how seasoned it is, it brings difficulties. That's a point of difference. But we will discuss it and sit down and listen and engage. And that's what this debate is about, and which, why I appreciate it and why the government isn't opposing the motion. And the Minister joins me in the studio now. Minister, you're very welcome along to the programme. Um, that, of course, was a debate tonight around the sale and distribution of turf, but the issue of peat briquettes then came up. Um, would you like to see briquettes outlawed? No, I think what the point I was making there is that we follow the science. Uh, just to explain the debate, the other side of the debate was Michael Fitzmaurice, and people will know he's very involved, a in, uh, contractor or uh, part of the Turf Cutters Association. And I've been engaging with Michael Morris for the past year and a half on this, and with different views, but respectful, and always the understanding that the way we would improve our public health, and this is a public health measure, saving 1,300 lives that are lost each year because of pollution mm. from burning smoky fuels, is that we would regulate it at the retail level and that the regulation would be on the standards of how much pollution difference fuels. So I was just making the point there that we've got to make sure it's done on a scientific basis, that we, we followed the science, we followed the environmental and the public health advice. And um, what's the science as it stands on peat briquettes? Because that, peat briquette that, that producers would say that they, they do fall within the, the yes, current emission yes, standards. Yes, they are. And I was saying, I was saying yeah, we'll, we'll just check and make sure of that and, uh, and uh, keep monitoring it. So what would you like to see happen? I think we, would, we will introduce in the autumn regulations on a whole range of smoky fuels. The critical one is smoky coal. What we've done in Dublin and other cities across the country, we need to do nationwide. If we're doing that, we also have to regulate wood and peat and turf um, so that it is below a certain threshold. 
both wood below moisture content and pollution levels low below certain standards. So we, we're, we're going to follow science, we're going to follow public health advice. It will be regulation at the retail level, not for those who have access to their own bar. Yeah. Just on the paper cuts, though, Minister, because that is a new line that's emerging tonight. You're going to speak to industry uh, and check with them that they, it falls within the correct emission levels no, from the producers. I think people might read uh, too much into that. It was The argument was around you follow the scientific advice. And I was just making the point, we'll make sure for all products that they are within the limits that the regulation set. OK, because a spokesperson I, I, I says it's not envisaged that they will be banned, a, a spokesperson no. from you. So you don't envisage it no, to be banned. No, so it, was, it was a discussion around okay. staying to the scientific level. But you, you have insisted that the turf ban go ahead from September. Is that still the case? I think, yes, in the autumn. We, we went out in public consultation last September and we said to the industry to get ready that to give them advance notice that we're going to sw start switching away. We still have, we're still in consultation. We still have to go back to the European Commission and to government colleagues to make sure we get the regulations right. I'm confident we will introduce them in the autumn um, and that it will, it'll take time to have effect. Most of the turf this summer will be cut, uh, saved, stored, sold in advance of the introduction of so regulations. is that when Micheál Martin told the doll that anything proposed will not impact this winter in any shape or form, is he right? Yes, because as I said, most of the turf, as anyone knows who's cutting it, will be cut, stored, saved and, and sold uh, before the regulations are introduced. So most people will have their turf in before the regulations come in and they use that through the winter. And that uh, was always the way it was designed and is going to be. Now, there's a lot of people, as you know, and a lot of TDs within government who are not happy at all about that. In fact, you talked about robust, uh, challenging and heated meetings with TDs from Fianna Fáil, from Fianna Gael on this issue. They're looking for compromises. What compromises are we likely to see now? I think the most first, most important one is that uh, it, it isn't. If someone has access to their own bog and a whole range of different customary practices, a lot of people have got arrangements, compensation packages, other arrangements through board pneumonia in a variety of different ways, that they have their access to their own peat and turf. And what we're saying is that's not going to change. It's not, it isn't designed to kind of be a regulation at the household where we're going in checking what are you burning, are you doing the right thing. Yeah. It was always Just designed, but it will, we want to be really clear about this at the retail commercial level, so that we start to tackle not just turf, but critically also coal and wet wood. And um, I think that first important distinction is you, important. you did go into those meetings with that, with that in mind, saying that, look, you know, it's not going to stop, you know, sharing with neighbours, it's not going to mm. stop you cutting your own turf, and it's, it's definitely aimed at, at the, the commercial turf cutters. Yeah. But then, you know, we did have government colleagues that were saying, well, what else are you going to do? Is there going to be compensation for people to switch over from turf to other more, um, more efficient fuels? Is that going to happen? We already have huge range of supports and yes we will target them as best way we can which we're already doing in the midlands and elsewhere through social housing as well as through grants very high level grants to people who are most exposed of fuel poverty so yes we will be keep going with what we are doing is specifically to for people that would use turf in their homes and from september you are advocating you know you're, you're saying we'll ban turf and we'd like you not to use it Will there be something else? Will there be this idea of a just transition, a compensation help specifically for, for people who, who are burning turf in their homes? There is already in the Warmer Home Scheme and other schemes that the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland. And yes, we look at a range of other different measures. But you'd also have to remember there are households all over the country 
who currently are using the alternatives and who are actually heating their homes, often with a much better result. If we're burning wet wood or if you're burning uh, smoky coal versus smokeless, actually the smokeless variety is better. That making the switch in many instances will actually be improve their energy performance. But we will work and make sure and work with government colleagues to make sure that it is not, this is not designed as a punitive measure. This is designed as a measure to protect lives, to save lives. And do, do you see it as, as a, a legacy of your term in government, of the Green Party's term in government? There's a whole load of legacies. The whole programme for government is but going to be But this one in particular, because it has caused such ire among rural TDs and others who've stepped up and said, well, you know, you could collapse the government over this I one. I one thing, maybe what is different maybe about Greens and government is that when it comes to measures like this, yeah, we feel have a certain obligation. You, you can't ignore the public health issue. You can't ignore that local environmental issue. Mm. And yes, two or three previous governments have decided not to progress when they knew, when they had the same legal advice, when they had the same scientific advice. And I think it is important at this stage, we do, we do take public health seriously. And it will, so it's an absolute commitment that it will go ahead from September? I'm very confident it will. I think it has to. And uh, my government colleagues think the same. The matter of get, is getting the, the details right. OK. Um, Let's move on to the National Maternity Hospital plans. It's caused an awful lot of controversy in recent, recent days. Um, you were in the Dáil today defending um, the plans that have been brought to Cabinet by the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly. You had a different stance on this, though, in 2017 in opposition when you said that the new National Maternity Hospital shouldn't be built on a lease agreement, but rather the transfer of ownership of the site to the state. Mm -hmm. uh, what's changed your mind on that? because the people who own the site are not willing to sell it, that it isn't an option which is viable. And five years on from that... Do we know why they're not willing to sell it? I presume because they want to keep control of their land and, and that it, it is a voluntary hospital with their own governance and their own board system. But do we know why they specifically want to do that when it comes to the maternity hospital? And are you, happy, are you happy with that? I would prefer it had they sold it, but they're not doing that. I believe that a 300-year lease, as I said in the doll, is the equivalent. I don't think in any way or, or any stretch of the imagination anyone would look at that and say that's an unfair time frame. That actually 300-year lease at €10 Euros a year in fact, brings certain saving. Although when you look in the small print on that, it is €10 Euro a year, but it could be €850,000 a year if certain conditions are not met around the leasing agreement. Yeah, but I'm very confident that the conditions will be met. And I think what's critical here, going back to what I said, it's five years since this original plan came out. And we can't wait another five years. I think for the women and babies were born Hollis Street, while it's an excellent hospital, I think everyone involved agrees. It's not in a fit state for a modern maternity hospital. And if we delay another five years, I think then people would rightly say, the women and men and families across the country would say, that's not right, so that's not good enough. Given the stance you had, would you say this is not an ideal situation? No, I think we've, we've all sorts of complications in our health system because we have voluntary hospitals, both Hollis Street and Vincent's, and it's an unusual circumstance. They are very good hospitals. They would say there's real advantages in having a voluntary health system, a voluntary hospital system. But when you're combining two rather than two state hospitals, it brings but it, complications. It, it, is a, it is a turnaround on your stance. Just something that was brought up, and obviously there's concern, well, on your stance that yeah. it should have been in state ownership yeah. on state land. Yes, so, but, so that's but, not going to be the case. But the basic principle is we do need to co-locate. We, there okay. is a real sense in putting maternity Just hospital beside 
one of our best general And hospitals. I just want to ask you about just concern from within your own party on it. And we heard from Nasa Harrigan yesterday who said, you know, the matter goes to the core of why many people joined the Green Party. Mm. Um, this issue about women's rights being to the fore, they got a lot, you got a lot of new party members off the back of repeal the eighth and all of that. Are, are you happy that they're going to be satisfied with this arrangement and that while you're a coalition leader in government that you're going to let it come to pass? Well, firstly, let it be open for debate. We have a tradition in our party of not shying away from debate and when there's differences of opinion. And what's happening in these two weeks, while it's difficult and there's a lot of concerns out there, I think it's appropriate that within government, as along with other colleagues in government, we said, OK, let's make it fully transparent. Let's publish all the data. Let's go to the Oireachtas Committee. Let's bring in the medical experts, which we did to our parliamentary party last night and will to our members tomorrow night, or tomorrow afternoon, rather, and I think that's in our tradition. Difference, do, difference do, of politics doesn't yeah. always something you And after it's from. all trashed out and after all of this happens, do you think it will be the case that those plans will be rubber stamped um, as, as we're hearing from senior ministerial sources, as is being reported, that this will go through, there will be no change to the, government, uh, to the governance of, of the new hospital? We need to make a decision. I don't think it's a rubber stamp. I think it's actually looking at all the evidence, listening to what the Oireachtas Committee, what comes out of that, but we do need, need to make a, a decision. This has been in planning for seven, eight, nine years almost now. And I think the people out there do want us to make a decision so we deliver a state-of-the-art okay. national right. maternity hospital. OK, uh, let's move on to um, the cost of living crisis. And uh, a coalition was launched today demanding the government take serious action to shield people um, against the cost of living, the rising inflation, and to protect their incomes. Are you happy that the government is doing all it can? Given that we're going to see this Russian oil embargo that's going to come down the line um, from, you know, towards the end of the year and really hit people hard and they're already being hit hard. This cost of the living crisis caused by high energy prices started last year. It started because Gazprom started turning off the tap as long as a year ago in preparation, I think, for this war. And gas prices start to rise, and with that, electricity prices as well. So we started in last October's budget, increasing social welfare provisions, increasing the money we're giving to try and help people protect and improve their, their homes. But also since, particularly in the last three months, a whole series of measures, mm. 200 euro credit, reducing excise, reducing VAT, uh, special uh, increased further social welfare provisions. By any comparison, if you look at European countries, all of whom have done something similar, if you assess what has the Irish government done, I think it would be very top of the league in trying to protect our people from this fuel price crisis rise. Now, you can't cover the full cost. You can't protect completely. So you're not going to insulate people any further um, against you know, what, is, what, what is going to be a very difficult year and potentially years ahead? What we need to do now is do what this country does well, which is work in partnership. Work with social partners, unions, employers, social organisations, NGOs, and look to the budget and saying, how do we address this budget at this particular time in a cost of living crisis? And actually work through the okay. National Economic Dialogue with partners to see what's the best way of doing that in the budget. I think it's right to yeah, spend... The budget, the you know, people will be um, at home, Minister, saying, you know, the budget is October. Um, and, you know, we're now in May and people are making decisions between food and fuel. Yeah, but in the last three months, I think three or four times, we've introduced really significant, up to €2 billion Euros worth of adjustments. I think it's appropriate at this stage to say, now we really need to think about the next measures and use these months, which the budget process is about. So the budget process starts in May on, on and culminates in, April, in, in, in October. And I think it's right for us to use this time to say, 
What are the other targeted social welfare measures? What's the other mechanisms so wait. to try and protect people? Wait, not wait, to see not wait, what's required. Not wait, plan, get right and an analyse. Be, be okay. precise I, and, and specific it, when you do introduce them because you've spent months listening to people, working with people to try and make the right choices. In the meantime, um, the government has launched a campaign about reducing your use. Uh, it will highlight how war and conflicts are affecting energy costs across Europe and how more than ever we need to be mindful about how we use our energy in our daily lives and people can take action in their own homes. That's what you're saying. Who are you aiming all of this at? All of us, because it's, um, it's, it's a public information campaign, same way that we did in COVID. But it's a campaign which is not putting the point of the finger at person, people, or kind of shaming anyone, or, or kind of tut tut that you're doing the wrong thing. It is information. It's information to try and help people cut their bills, to try and ha get handy tips, yeah. to provide links mm. to the websites that give you real practical do, uh, help Do you accept when all of this first came out, uh, Minister, when your department proposed taking shorter showers, do you accept that it came across as patronising and out of touch? If it did, I very much re regret that because that's not the impression we want to create. But if we shied away and said nothing about efficiency and the benefits of doing that, or providing advice and providing information, we wouldn't be doing our job properly. Every country in Europe, including the European Commission, is doing the same thing because it is a crisis. There, there has never been yeah. a wartime situation like this in my lifetime. And I think war, energy has been used as a weapon in this war. Mm. The high prices are a result of what the but Russian government is doing. people will know that. Well, people will know, look, there are really high prices. And, you know, I'm already cutting back hugely. We're already making decisions, yeah. you know, not to put the washing machine on at certain times or to do things differently. People are potentially already taking uh, shorter showers and always have done. Are mm. you taking shorter showers? Yeah. Yes, but I don't. Uh, if we turn this into a virtue, just go back to what you, the point you'd made earlier on a kind of virtue signaling thing where, oh, I'm better than other one else. That's not the way to win this argument, or, that, or that's not the way to, to kind of put people over, oh, I'm so virtuous, I'm doing this, that, and the other. No, but I think a lot of people actually do want good information on the sort of measures that, mm. that can be done, not on a, I'm better than you, or you have to do this, or you have to do that but just sharing some good advice. There's a, that's an absolutely valid, appropriate and right thing to be doing. Yeah, I, get, I guess it's just for people who feel they're already doing so much and they're still seeing the bills coming in yeah. and how, how high they are, just that they're wondering the if something more could be done rather than just advice on, you know, not filling the, the kettle too full. No, but, but I think it's a combination of measures. And I think we don't know how long this war is going to last now. It's not looking good. It's, you know, it's... it's uh, uh, and it's uncertain. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Russian government could cut off the gas. If that happened, it wouldn't affect us directly because we're not connected to the Russian gas, but it might have a further effect on the price side. No one has ever in our lifetime seen anything like this. The gas price is five times what it was mm -hmm. a year and a half ago. And it's actually part of government's job in those circumstances to try and provide as much information and as much help as possible to citizens to get us through what's going to be a difficult period. Uh, another thing that you're pushing are the alternatives and looking towards renewables. Um, offshore wind energy being a big one. Uh, wind Energy Ireland, which is the representative body for the Irish wind industry, says it's all systems go, but that, that planning and grid capacity issues are, are holding up the show. Would you agree with that, that more needs to be done on the government side when you say say you have ambitions around this and there are climate targets to be met, that we should be doing more and it should be done more quickly than it's already being done. I met the Wind Energy Association yesterday talking about this and today we had the first meeting of a new delivery task force within government on offshore wind. And we will in the next three years, the remaining two years and eight months, nine months of this government, 
completely transform the future energy prospects for our country by switching to offshore wind. Mm. It will start the first phase in the East Coast. Six projects there, one on the West Coast. First phase. The second phase will move south, probably southern Cork waters and west of Shannon Estuary. It's a huge challenge because there's a global sub yeah, race now. Just about planning results. on that, because it's supposed to take um, on board Planola apparently 18 weeks to process this renewable energy uh, project. But, you know, that, that representative body is saying, you know, it's taking 60 weeks. Yeah, but that, it, it has to be quicker. Uh, on board Planola have just set up a new maritime and climate division. They've just been approved additional staff. They're out looking to get additional staff to make this work. It is the most significant industrial and energy investment in this country since the foundation of okay. the state. It is a huge potential for us because we happen to be one of the windiest parts of the world. Mm. Our sea area is seven times our land area and we, we have real expertise in how you develop renewables. So this is going to happen. It gives us protection against okay. how fo high fossil fuel prices. It helps us meet our climate targets and it creates jobs, okay. not just in the generation of the power, but when the mm. power comes ashore and how we use All it. All right. Uh, before we go, uh, Minister, just to ask you about the Thornish that Leo Varadkar, um, there's a file before the DPP on an investigation into um, alleged leaks. Um, it does present coalition leadership issues. Did the Thornish ask for your political support in this matter? No, I think at all times it's been handled in an appropriate manner where it's it's an independent, you know, the DPP and the Gardaí follow their own procedures. And we've been very careful and very clear not to interfere in that, not to comment. It hasn't stopped the Thornish, the commenting, of course. Well, I don't think he said anything in any way that contravenes proper process or, or due process. And I think we do have to let due process... Well, the Thornish has course. come out and said, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm not guilty <clears> of doing anything wrong. There's no issue around that. So he is stepping into the fray on I that. I think but there's innocence until proven guilty is, is a foundation right. cornerstone of our okay. judicial system. Well, there we'll have to leave it, Minister. Thank you for joining us on the programme tonight. My thanks to Minister Eamon Ryan for joining me after the break. Cost of living crisis continues as campaigners say urgent action is needed. Stay with us. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
Welcome back. Well, earlier today, the cost of living crisis was being again highlighted outside Leinster House by the coalition, as they say, uh, urgent action. That was a coalition, uh, cost of living coalition, who launched um, a campaign today saying that urgent action is now needed to be taken by government. Well, joining me to discuss this is business correspondent at The Currency, Rosanna Cooney, journalist and former Minister Shane Ross, and special correspondent with the Irish Examiner, Mick Clifford. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. Um, to come to you first, Shane Ross, we're hearing about um, from the minister. He was up debating the sale and distribution of turf um, this evening, spoke to us in studio um, afterwards and telling us about, you know, if we will follow the science when it comes to the like of, uh, likes of Pete Perquettes. Um, they could also be on the banned list. If I was his secretary general, I think I'd say to him, very brave minister, very brave. It's, it's an extraordinary, it's a bit of a surprise because Imran, I think, is a very... Um, He's, he's very committed, uh, particularly to climate change and to smoky fuels and uh, and those missions which he's been pursuing in the, in the last couple of weeks. But he tends to have a habit of throwing grenades out into the fire without without thinking about it very much. And it seems a strange way to introduce another element into into a cauldron which has already been alight for a week or two. So I'm, I'm somewhat surprised, somewhat shocked that he's done this. I thought that he was in the business of compromising with the backbenchers from Finnegan and Fianna Fáil at the moment. And, and, uh, and then maybe going forward with something else. But he hasn't even got there yet. He's, yeah. he's, he's retreated and now he's come forward with something else, which I think will cause a bit of trouble. Adding fuel to the fire, Mick. Yeah, I mean, I, I think his problem is probably, he's probably too honest that he was there and, yeah. and his way of debating is very much in a conversational style, which is a great thing, actually, because it's the way that debating should be done. But it, it, I saw the way he, he mentioned it, it was in that context, he threw it in. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate in one way because similarly the way the turf issue came to the fore was in response to a parliamentary question from even from a government backbench to a government backbench TD. So it's unfortunate the way it's gone out there. The reality is, in the long term, he's going to be proved right. But the polit politics isn't really about the long term, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. It should be. Yeah. Uh, in his defence, I said, uh, I suppose he's, he did say, you know, we will follow the science on this. Yeah. And if the emissions are seemed to be going in the wrong direction, um, that they would then consider it. But let's talk a little bit more um, about the cost of living demo that took place today. Joining me now via Skype is USI President Claire Ostick. Claire, you were on that protest or on that demonstra uh, demonstration. What was the point that you were trying to make to government? Yeah, absolutely, and thank you very much for having me tonight. Um, so first of all, this coalition was set up by trade unions, by students' unions, by organisations and political parties to tackle the rising cost in living. Um, from a student perspective, students experience huge financial hardship when attending college um, with the rising cost of living, um, the um, lack of support services that are available to them um, and the biggest barrier which is the student contribution charge of €3,000 coupled with the extortionate cost of rent. Um, so we have you know, spoken about this on numerous occasions. We have highlighted how difficult it is and how stressful and pressurising um, it is for students to attend college. Um, so we really need to see the government tackle this, that they need to do something meaningful and tangible 
on um, accommodation, on the student contribution charge, um, on wealth inequality, the rise in the cost of fuel, um, and many other elements that contribute to the overall cost of living. Um, every single person in this country and every student um, deserves to have a high quality of life. Um, but as a result of the rising costs in living, many people are struggling and it's just not good enough anymore. You hear the minister saying and, and government saying there's only so much we can do to insulate people against the rising cost of living, given, given that there is um, a war happening between you know, Ukraine and, and Russia and the fallout from all of that on top of everything else post-pandemic. What would you say to that? Um, well, I think the, the rise in, in the cost of living has been, you know, you know, skyrocketing for the last number of years. Um, the, the war on Ukraine has certainly exacerbated it, but it's how we react to that as a country and how we support um, the people um, in this country, um, looking at, you know, housing, looking at healthcare, looking at accommodation and um, transport access. These are all huge, um, you know, essentials um, that are needed, that everyone should have access to. Um, wherever they're at, um, you know, in their, their life. Um, so it's hugely important that the government takes this seriously um, and that they don't just pay lip service um, to the rights of many people. OK, Claire Ostick, thank you for your, your insight on that. Um, Rosanna Cooney, to come to you on this, I mean, rent being a big issue, that's being brought up again by students and one of the reasons why they took to the streets today. Uh, it's not just a student issue, though. This affects so many people up and down the country. Yeah, I mean, first to say, Claire, like, you know, this is really affecting people's right to an education and it's awful to see the stories of people being in terrible situations, like living in cars. I've seen people sharing accommodation with multiple people, you know, in, in really inappropriate situations. But I think what that then leads on to is people being totally trapped in a rental market. And I think some of the things we've seen is that people get, like, you know, they're in this for life and our system isn't set up for people to rent forever. You know, the protections aren't there. It's the policy isn't there to mean that, you know, you're secure in a rental environment. And so, of course, there's this, you know, people want to buy, but it's more than a Irish fixation with owning its own, your own home. It's actually being safe and secure in a property. Mm -hmm. And I think that what we see now is that you have this huge kind of forgotten chunk of people. I think it's almost something like, it's more than 50% of renters in the greater Dublin area are stuck in this middle where they're not rich enough to buy their own home, but they're not earning like a small enough amount to qualify for social housing. And I think that's such an interesting area that we see housing policy is actually broken because there's this vast number of people that are trapped and they're not being looked after by the mm. market and they're not looked after by the by the social housing. Yeah, um, th there are those people that fall between the cracks in this utterly dysfunctional um, housing system. The government saying, you know, we are we are making amends, we're trying to do something about it, we're trying to increase supply. Mm. But we're, we're, we're seeing this problem with rising rents and people aren't getting homes, they're not getting homes they need and they don't have the security. Yeah, it's, um, it's obviously part of a problem which is going to mushroom now that we've got inflation coming at the rate, rate it is. I think it's probably a healthy development to see what we see today with Claire. I think to see groups of that sort getting together uh, who aren't, you know, directed by political parties, putting pressure on, who have a really good, a really good case to make. So I, I kind of welcome this. It reminds me a bit of the uh, anti-austerity alliance that, that existed about the water rates and the water charges before. Uh, but I think uh, 
It's Do you good. think it will affect real action? Do you think coalitions like this? I mean, yes, you know, what, what sort of heat have uh, uh, numbers, been taken before? If the numbers this? are there, it'll affect real action. It's, a, it's as simple as that. And it looks to me as if they've got a coalition going together, which is, which is quite powerful and has the potential, because of the strength of the feeling behind it, to mobilise an awful lot of course, of the, a lot of the reason why, why they're out is because, like, while you were in government, Shane Ross, not a lot was done. Yeah, absolutely fair. Absolutely fair enough. But we didn't have uh, at that stage a, an inflation rate of, of what's looked like. Yeah, but there was a huge housing to, crisis then, wasn't there? Yeah. Mick, um, just on that, you know, it's taken people now to, 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 to go out on the streets. There's a lot of people suffering silently. There is, uh, just, there's two issues, you know, two distinct issues. I think, though, the, the, that group today that organised, I think there are political elements mm -hmm. in it, political party elements in it. But that's grand, you know, I mean, that, the, the, any pressure that's brought on in relation to that. But there are two distinct things, and one is the housing market, which is entirely dysfunctional. And young people, as Rosanna pointed out, and uh, as was pointed out there, particularly students and those um, under the age of 40, basically, who are caught in that thing, renting. Uh, the, the, the cost of living crisis is separate. There are various sections of societies that are being walloped with that far more than others. And targeting them specifically, I think, is the main thing that needs to be concentrated on. All right, we'll leave it there. My panel will be staying with me, though. And after the break, the big news stories of the week. Stay with us. Welcome back. My panel is still with me and I'm joined uh, by senior editorial analyst at Kinzen, Razan Ibrahim, to look at the other big news stories of the week. Um, we want to go to first the Northern Ar Ar Ireland elections, the Assembly elections that have been taking place. Um, Shane Ross, this could be seismic, a big political shift in the North. Yeah, I think I think you're right. It, it, that's what it's being billed as, certainly. And both, I was just talking to Mick, and he and both he and I are going up there for the, for those elections tomorrow. I'm going up because I'm writing a biography of Mary Lou Macdonald, and I want to actually find out more about what's happening in that part of the world. But but it, I suspect it is going to be seismic. Uh, we we do have signs that the Alliance Party, which is obviously a non-sectarian party, is going to poll extraordinarily well. And don't forget the fact that there have been. A few signals in Northern Ireland recently of, of a non-sectarian vote. There's been people for profit getting seats mm. uh, and there's been the Green Party getting seats. So, so there are changes happening. And, and what, what we could see, which would be incredibly dramatic, would be if, say, the Alliance Party got, came in in second place. And that would obviously have serious implications for the, for the Assembly and for the executive as well. And what hangs over all of this, of course, is potential stalemate, Mick. Um, that, that, that's what's happened in the North. That's what sparked these elections yeah. in the first place and how the unionists react uh, to a strong Sinn Féin vote. And particularly how the unions react if uh, Sinn Féin have the most seats and therefore the, the position symbolically, though it is a first minister, you know, first minister and second minister are effectively joined. But the symbolism of it, and the symbolism of it, quite obviously, of a nationalist party becoming the party that holds the first ministry, unfortunately, as of now, it looks as, as if the symbolism will be the main thing because unless there is some bit of give by the DUP, mm. You'd have to wonder whether the Assembly is going to be getting back together, particularly if um, Sinn Féin are holding the First Minister's position. And that is the big logjam and whether we're into more of that and how long that's going to drag on. And the on. protocol, of course, still remaining an issue. Yeah, but I, I get the impression that it, it's a bigger issue with the DUP themselves rather than even their own electorate, not to mind the wider northern electorate. OK, um, let's 
talk about a story that's dominated the Dáil agenda here. That's the National Maternity Hospital plans. Um, Rosanna, it's certainly one that's very emotionally charged for people and people on both sides of the debate feel very strongly about it. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, there's justification for the concerns definitely about, you know, influence, Catholic influence on what's going on in the National Maternity Hospital. But at this point, you know, it really is just a property deal. And I know that might be a difficult thing to hear, but that's where we're at now. This is a, a property deal. It's fine tuning that. And I did hear the comments of Minister Ryan earlier, and you were asking, you know, why, why, why do they want to retain the land? This is a 200-year-old organisation and they have managed their property quite well over those years and they're still going. And there's an interesting thing in this deal that they will retain the rights to mortgage this land. And so 20, 30 years after the maternity hospital is built, they can still leverage this land and it's worth a fortune. Like the last evaluation was in 2017 and it was worth 220 million. It's worth way more than that now. So the answer to why they want to retain the land is... They have a very valuable property. Owner. Does it put the, all the plans in a very precarious um, situation? I mean, what people want on this is they want it built, but they also want clarity. They want to know that 100 years from now we will have a maternity hospital that is fit for purpose if a billion euros is being spent on it. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but like, would you want to be giving birth in a hospital that was built 100 years ago? I don't know. Like, Do you think a hospital will yeah, still be it... standing in 100 years? 100 years, 300 years, we're all going to be... You know, I don't know if it's... If it, you know, yeah, I difficult suppose pe question. And people, people waiting so long um, for this to happen as well. Certainly, it's very um, contentious, Shane Ross, and it's something. If the government thought it was going to go away, it certainly hasn't. No, it hasn't. Although it's, it's, it kind of comes up to bite various governments in different forms, whether it's the cost or, or now it's the ethos of the hospital. I think. I mean, you asked Eamon Ryan that, that question just now, which was, if, as the government is saying, as as the Tishika said, and Eamon was saying as well. Uh, there's no difference between this and ownership. It's akin to ownership, they're giving this impression. Mm. It's a fair question. Why don't the owners then just hand it over? Because it would be a bloody nuisance to them if that was the case. It would actually be a burden on them. And they are keeping it for a, for a reason. And what we need to hear, I think, in uh, Health Committee next week and elsewhere is what reason there is that they're, they're actually saying we want to hold on to it because because if it's actually only getting them 10 euros a year they'd be absolutely mad to hold on to it they're holding on to it for, for a specific reason which is the rights they are going to be the landlords yeah essentially um is this just going to be two weeks of talking through and then at the end of it all let's push ahead with it now because yeah, we've been waiting so long for a new maternity hospital. Yeah, and the thing I find interesting, and there is arguments obviously to be made of the ethos and, and, and the fact that the nuns are holding on to it, but nobody seems to be worried about the fact that irrespective of that, it's still going to be a voluntary hospital, even though it's the National Maternity Hospital. Mm -hmm. And there are restrictions in that model for any, for example, any inquiries into anything that goes wrong. The HSE does not have an automatic right to inquire into anything. And there's, there was two recent incidents in the National Maternity Hospital in that respect. And yet, that's everybody seems to be ignoring that, which I think is may, maybe not as uh, vital as this other issue mm. about the ethos and, and, yeah, and the ownership. Say, they, it is a voluntary yeah, hospital. Say, it, it is not going to be a HSE state And it, and it always has been, and they yeah. say they operate efficiently exactly, in that manner, yeah. and that's yeah. why they want it located exactly, where they want it located. If we're having Vincent's a big hospital. deal about that, I can't understand why nothing has been said about the fact that it's going to be a voluntary hospital. Yeah, um, let's move on to another big story. This is around the EU and, and the oil embargo that's going to come down the line from Russia. Finally, it seems that there's going to be a, a kind of a full EU response on this, and we're going 
going to see it come about. Um, where do you think all this is going, you know, from, from Russia's point of view now? Is it, is it going to make any inroads in stopping this war, Azan, do you think? I mean, it's 71 days since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And uh, since the very start of it, uh, Russian government, alongside with the uh, accounts, embassies' accounts and other propaganda as well, trying to push um, non-stop uh, justification of the war and also downplaying, downplaying the impact of the sanctions on, on the country. For example, they are claiming recently and spreading the propaganda that food security that happening like in across uh, the world and as well, as well the high price in food prices is because of the sanction, whereas we all know it's because of the Russian invasion that started the whole um, war in Ukraine. The other one as well, uh, they are trying to downplay it in a way, these sanctions, um, claiming it is directed to Russians as people. So they are launching campaigns saying stop hating Russians or there is Russophobia <laughs> against uh, the country and that's why they are trying to downplay the impact of the sanctions on, on and the is country. It is it working? I, I suppose is the question there. It's interesting on the sanctions point um, though Mick that we have an Irish journalist who's been caught up on, on British sanctions um, Brian MacDonald who, who worked with Russia Today. You interviewed him um, on a podcast, for a podcast. last year, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, what was his take on it all? Well, at, at that stage, we hadn't advanced in terms of the Ukraine, but I, I think it would be fair to say that his general disposition would have been um, fairly pro-Putin, pro the Russian state. He was working for Russia today, and that's where it was, and that would have been very much um, where he was coming from, and he appeared to be quite comfortable with that position, and he appeared to be quite comfortable with his lot in... Russia. He's originally from somewhere in the Midlands, in Kilkenny, I think. But um, it, it was interesting from that point of view, but there was no doubt in my mind that he was certainly pushing that kind of agenda. Mm. And perhaps but that's what has contributed to the fact that he's now... Um, Sanction. You describe an individual as being sanctioned. Or, he has, or... Yeah. Well, he's among those being sanctioned um, under 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 Brit under British moves, and um, he's obviously strongly um, condemned that move and defended his own position. Um, you know, interesting as well the video that came to light that maybe you know shocked a lot of people here. Other people thought, you know, is it a mock up? Is this satire? A joke? And the video on, on Russian TV again of of the of Ireland and 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 the UK being subsumed by a nuclear cloud and just disappearing into the sea. But certainly, um, when we talk about propaganda and, and, and what we're seeing going out to air, that's something that would have uh, caused a bit of alarm here in, in the reaction we got from, from government ministers. I think it was, it was a pretty shocking thing for them to do, quite honestly. But I, I mean, the propaganda war is, is something in which there are, there are no bounds. They, they don't draw any lines, lines around it. And, and it's something... I, the best thing I saw about that, that particular... Uh, uh, that particular uh, clip was uh, a letter to the Irish Times today. I don't know if you saw it. It said uh, it was from some some uh, reader who, si who, si who said, uh, uh, if, if that's the case, we certainly won't expel the Russian ambassador because what we'll do is we'll keep them all here and they can, they can be, be here as well, suffer for it. I thought that was a fair response. Um, we also had now, when we talk about, you know, Twitter and what's happening there, Michael D. Higgins had quite a go at, at Elon Musk today. I don't know if, if you heard those comments that he made. 
I didn't hear them actually. Yeah. Yeah. Narcissistic. Yeah. Um, I, I don't so know. Will Elon? Will Elon? I mean, he can take. He's, you know, well, can he, he? Can he constitutionally take a position on Elon Musk? Uh, but the, certainly, the, he's the, saying the, what a lot the, of people might be thinking. Pylon on Twitter against. Michael D is. When I was in government in cabinet, he was the kind of darling of the cabinet, and and he said things then which other presidents, if they said, might have been in a certain amount of hot water about. But because he's so popular and he's so mm. sincere, and obviously he's not going to do anything very dangerous himself, he's given a certain amount of leverage and, and you know, he's given a certain amount of leeway. And I think he should be as well. I mean, he, when he's, he's at his best when he's being controversial. Yeah. Yeah, That's when he's at his best, and and he's at his worst when he's actually playing the playing the role. Yeah, of we, we, you can't hold back someone like Michael D. And um, no. briefly, just to talk about the big win, Katie Taylor, your hero, Shane. And will you be posing for another selfie when she comes back from I New York? I certainly will. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be out of the airport waiting for her. <laughs> Dude, I was right. No, she's gold dust. It's just it's just fantastic what she's done, and I'll certainly be in Crow Park hoping for a photograph. All right, Arrive, arriving with your phone and muscling your way to the front. OK, there we have to leave it. That's all from us. My thanks to all my panel who've joined me tonight from all the late team here. Good night. Take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.